Hey everybody, welcome to another podcast with Cribs. Before we get into our next guest, I just want to remind you that if you are looking for an investment property, looking for the next high growth market and want to know how to secure that good quality asset, you need to talk to me and the team. We are looking across the whole Australian Eastern Seaboard, only work with the best developers in the industry, can help you secure that asset, do the cash flows, have a good understanding about where you're going to find that growth. So ultimately, secure that investment and keep on building that fantastic portfolio to achieve the long-term dreams. Reach out to the team, have a chat to me, and let's get into this next show. Hey guys, Dominic Neshi here from Cribs. Today, we're very lucky to be here with the great Reese from Boston Marketing. Today, we're going to be talking about all things sustainable development um, and ethical investing. The guys at Pace and um, Boston Marketing are doing some really beautiful and amazing innovative works at Melrose Park and some of their other sites. So we're going to cover a lot of that in this episode. One thing that I really love is, you know, obviously it's quite topical. So we can mm. we can try and news jack. Yeah. The media recently, what, 300,000 people are saying, listen, we want to be aware of climate change. And, yeah. and one thing that I thought was really interesting is ethical investing. Yeah. And but I think especially too, because now there's lots more first home buyers, like it's previously, if we took 5% of the sales being first home buyers, now they're 50%, mm. right? And to be a first home buyer, you don't have to be young. No. A lot of them are. Average is like actually 37 or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. But- I think when we talked about sustainability, when I've started, you know, 10, 15 years ago, people really weren't um, concerned about it. I think their perception of sustainability was, okay, well, I'm going to get a shower that um, kind of piddles on you rather than, you know, the full force one. But today I think it, I think purchases, it's part of their buying decision in everything they do. You, know, you see people with keep cups, you see um, people trying not to use single-use plastic. And the biggest purchasing decision you make in your life is a property. And I think why wouldn't that carry through to, to that decision as well? Well, that's exactly right. And even from the financial markets, right, you have a look at new banks that are saying we're not going to invest in coal. Yeah. We're only going to invest in sustainable energy or, or ethical investment um, schemes, for want of a better word. So they want to make money, but make money in a way that makes sense also from an environmental impact. Yeah. And I feel like there's not enough chat about it on the property front. When companies like yours uh, are doing embedded networks and solar power and, and doing um, their own rail line and creating private, you know, boats and private shuttles to try and create people into buses, we get cars off the road. There's so much happening. Mm. That's, it's good to get excited about it, but uh, it's kind of just said as a marketing spin as opposed to what it's actually doing. And, and there's a big growing movement that people would genuinely rather invest in that type of investment or that type of property because you're going to have a positive global impact as opposed to some old shitter yeah. or just some crappy building around the block. Well, I think the – I don't know if there's any Australian studies. I'm sure there is. But the US Environmental Protection Agency says that living in a unit in the city is three times more energy efficient than living in a house in the suburbs. So uh, – that's without all of the additional things that developments can look to do to be more sustainable environmentally, economically, socially. Um, but 
certainly when you just think about, okay, well, how well sealed is a house, you know, from a drafty point of view, right? Yeah. Versus um, apartments have to be built with the BASICS rating now, BASIC being the Building Sustainability Index, which was introduced in 2004, right? And the goal of BASICS was that um, a new home, and this is any new home, needs to be at least 40% more water efficient and more um, greenhouse uh, efficient than a pre-BASICS um, property being built. Um, so that was a big change that's happened in the space. Um, uh, and then you kind of, everything can give you points towards BASICS. If you have PV solar panels on the roof, that'll power the common areas, that'll give you points. Um, the glass that you use, um, uh, whether it's double glazing, which will provide further th thermal efficiency. People always think about double glazing as just being a noise um, reduction mm. uh, device, um, but it's also a really um, good way of, of keeping the heat out in when it's hot and keeping the cool out when it's cold. Um, I mean, if you've ever been into an apartment, a new apartment, you'll find that those dramatic changes in temperature aren't anything like you would expect um, living in a in a house. Um, so just that alone is 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 a is a big change. And look, part of that is the exact reason why I think new property is such a valid and uh, profitable investment vehicle, because tenants are demanding more. Yep. You know, they you can get a better quality tenant if it's going to be heat regulated, if it's going to be sound regulated, if it's you can actually create your own little microcosm of comforts and you know genuine peace and security in your own home where a lot of older places don't have that. And look, I'm not knocking older places. I think there's a lot of value that you can engineer from buying old. Uh, I just think that there's a very warranted conversation to be had about making ethical investments into property. Like if you've got two uh, options and you're feeling more green at heart, you do your compost bins and yep. you, know, you, you, keep, you do your keep cups, people should be aware that you also have an option in property. Absolutely, yeah. In the investments that you make, you know? But it's also environmental and economic are linked, right? Because right. if you're being more sustainable and using less energy, then power prices in Australia continue to go up. So that's fantastic news for people that are living in, and those tenants that you're talking about, because they're the one that's got to pay the electricity bill. They've got to pay rent and the electricity, and they want to be using less energy than in a place where it's going to be, you know, middle of summer, turn five different air conditioners on, um, you know, go out and uh, everyone's watering the plants for hours and hours. And um, so I think there's a bit, there's a big difference that you can see and people can make that choice, um, whether it, wh whatever is most important to them. For some people, it's the environmental sustainability. For some people, it's economics, but the result is the same. You, you will get a benefit from both. Um, it doesn't matter which is more important to you. Well, and, and there's a lot of studies recently, and I, I can't quote any right now, but there have been a lot of studies to say that um, businesses and investments that are made with ethical uh, decisions in mind have been performing very well and actually outperforming other asset classes in more recent times. And look, I just want to do a little bit of a, a pivot. I know that you're not necessarily the kind of guy to want to just give your developments an overt plug but um, the work that you do do at Pace is sensational. So big shout out. Can you talk about some of the stuff at Melrose Park? I know that it's a, it's an ever continuing process. It's, and quote me if I'm wrong at any stage of this process, but you've got 
sort of a 10 or 15 year timeline. You're doing 15,000 square meters of commercial. You've got a whole bunch of parkland, thousands of apartments, but you're being spaced out over time. Can you talk about some of the, you know, the, the rail line and the, the privatization of the boats and all that kind of stuff that I actually use you guys as a gold standard for, for a lot of that work? Sure. I mean, well, Pace and Secretary, yes, um, there, it is along, I think this is referred to as the largest urban renewal in Sydney um, of an infill site by a single developer. Um, but there's a whole lot of things that go into creating a community of that scale um, uh, from a transport perspective, um, from an energy use perspective, you know, I, things that they're investigating, for example, um, just to limit the use of cars in the development is uh, autonomous streetcars that just run up and down the length of the uh, development. I mean, it's about 650 metres long. It's got about a 30 metre decline from top to bottom, so it's about 10 storeys. Um, and usually, if someone's going to go 650 metres, they're going to jump in their car. Um, and suddenly, if you're in an area with lots of people living and everyone's jumping in their car to go get a cup of coffee or a cup of milk, then, well, it's not very good for the environment, but also it's not very good for traffic management and time management, and everyone's going to be sitting there in, in, in gridlock. So um, promoting a walkable space um, with other options as well that you can just jump on a streetcar, it's driverless, it goes up and down the main boulevard. I mean, that's the early kind of stages of it, but there's no reason why an autonomous streetcar can't take any routes, right? Mm. Um, uh, do we stop off at the large central park? You know, um, the parkland that's being made... Um, is now I think um, uh, about eighteen and a half thousand square meters of of a of a central park. Um, it's about three football fields combined, if you can um, think of it in those equivalent terms. Um, and um, so there's there, there's that. We've already got the Melrose Park shuttle bus, which is running from the development site down to the uh, ferry wharf and the train station, and that's even before any of the buildings are finished. So that means that residents of Melrose Park now have access to the ferry network and the heavy rail network, um, which they never had before. Um, and that means that all the new residents that are coming into the area will have those connections as well. So again, people aren't jumping in their car in the morning or in the afternoon just to go down to the train station or even more. They, you know, once you've already made the decision to get in your car, you may be going to go even further all the way into work. Then you're going to struggle with how do you pay for parking and all these other um, uh, add-ons that come with it. Um, so um, I think there's done something like 9,000 trips already um, between uh, the site with, with commuters down towards the ferry wharf and the train station back and forth. So, um, and, and when those first residents move in um, the second half of next year, they already have that available to them. So you've got the buses that run along Victoria Road, you've got um, the, the shuttle bus down to the ferry and to, the, and to the, uh, the train station as well. So three modes of transport. And as the development progresses, um, that internal streetcar um, and there's... So the internal streetcar, can you just explain well, what that, that is? Well, that's... It, they're looking at a number of different options at the moment. I think the most popular solution is this autonomous street vehicle or a fleet of, of autonomous vehicles. Yes. They're testing them over in uh, the armory in Newington at the moment. There's a company called HMI. They're doing fantastic things. I've heard it was two um, Iraqi brothers who were in the signage business and they made digital signs for motorways. Um, and they kind of 
had a look at the uh, the way things are moving, and they were saying, well, people read signs, but they see a future where cars will obviously just speak to each other, and there'll be no need for um, a driver or someone to read the signs. So as a way to continue their own business or give them longevity, they've actually transformed and gone all the way from digital signage to making the um, autonomous vehicles, um, which is a huge leap to make, right? But yeah. But you can you can see how they came to that that decision as well. This is where the world's going to go. The most interesting thing I think about cars and developments in particular is one of the most expensive parts from a construction perspective is obviously excavating excavating basements and building basements, and um, all of the old developments will need to go through first a retrofitting process. If everyone gets electric cars, then suddenly there's no um, infrastructure there for all these cars to charge. There's no loads on the uh, on the substations that will ha- have all of these cars charging, if that's the way it goes, right? I think and hope so. Sorry to inter- yeah. c- interject there, just because I've got an order on a Tesla 3. Right. And I'm trying to practice what I preach. But you're right. Like all these bo- buildings need to go through a bit of a change or an upgrade because sure. it won't be able to uh, keep up with the capacity and where demand is going. Yeah, so that's, I mean, and that's going to be one of the benefits of buying new properties now that are being built like Melrose Park, we're building um, EV chargers in the basement. Um, but then you think about, okay, well, what if we go another 20 years down the track or 30 years down the track, and do we still own private vehicles? Or is it everyone, you know, does Toyota or Uber have um, uh, own a subscription service that we all kind of drop into? Because the cars, you don't need drivers anymore. There's, you just, you know, the, an, an, a car can be ordered and you take it from A to B. You rent it. And now what happens with all these basements that are happening under the buildings? I mean, the most logical, I guess, is that they can all just turn into additional storage for all the lots above. Meditation rooms. <laughs> meditation. You've got a meditation room here in your office. <laughs> yeah. um, but, I, but I think um, there could also be some more exciting um, ways of, of thinking to use those spaces and um, there'd be some good innovation there to say, well, okay, we've got all of these underground um, spaces. I don't know. What are they? Can people um, uh, grow their own yeah, uh, yeah, food yeah. under the building? Gardens, yeah. Interesting. Um, you know, with uh, you know, if you have solar panels on the roof that are that are powering some of the lights that you could be using to to grow, uh, uh, you know, micro farms under the building. I mean, that's kind of we're you jumping know, into the wild, future. Uh, you know, I don't I don't see that on the horizon anytime soon. Um, uh, it's got to be tested out. You got to you got to see it see it work. Well, well, just to sort of to add to that point, there's a few things I'd like to touch on. One, just to, to make clear, there are a bunch of vertical gardens that are already in use. Yeah. So what you're talking about isn't far-fetched. It's operational. People are doing it. Yeah. So, no, yeah, it's not crazy. No, ver- I mean, vertical gardens, I mean, really, I mean, and from an aesthetic point of view, they're beautiful. I mean, yeah. I've got one at home. They're, the development we did in uh, the, the Albany and Croesus has a beautiful four-level vertical garden. Um, 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 but I think um, – uh, now to take it underground without light is um, uh, there's there's a it's it's all possible. It's an engineering thing. Yeah, that's for smarter people than me. The second thing I wanted to ask you about, and um, I don't know if you can go into any level of depth or about this, but can you share a little bit about the solar power stuff that you're doing or the embedded network? So I don't I know this is all early days, and you because you're doing a ten or fifteen year project. Um, 
these types of things will change and evolve over time because it is quite literally going to be a smart city in my mind. Yep. And you can't future-proof something like that, but you can keep yourself open to different ideas and progressive um, ideations and designs and methodologies. Yep. Can you talk a little bit about solar power, embedded networks, what you're doing and how that kind of works within Melrose Park, but any of your other developments? Sure. Well, I know there's of the there's three stages so far that have been approved in Melrose Park, and all of those stages have um, PV solar panels running along the roofs. Okay. Um, quite dense. Um, uh, um, so they will be used to generate um, electricity for the, uh, and they can push back into the grid, but effectively it'll run the common areas, lifts, um, uh, items like that. So that will drive down prices of strata. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And... I mean, another thing on energy pricing, and, and, and you've raised embedded networks there, is the ability to buy wholesale and to get a discount um, rather than a, as an individual saying, okay, I'm going to go to the energy company and get my own rate. And Can you describe very briefly what an embedded network is? Or Sure. Uh, an embedded network is where um, there is companies that will come and provide the infrastructure for the building on the basis that um, you don't need to stick with them, but... You can use their services and they will aggregate the group of people that are living in that building and using their services to get a, to buy energy at a cheaper rate or electricity at a cheaper rate than you would as an individual. That's the uh, crux of it. Yeah. Um, however, it has a lot of other advantages. Yeah, um, especially if you're generating your own energy. Correct. Yeah, I know in um, the East Village development that pays did in uh, 2015, one development of the year. It had a tri-generational plant um, within the within the project itself, so um, uh, generates its own own power as well as um, taking off the grid and even feeding back into the grid. Um, uh, but back to back to Melrose Park, um, the the PV panels will run through there. They'll power all the common areas, um, and that will provide um, sufficient energy for, for for common areas. It's hard with high density to use it for each of the apartments, but certainly it'll bring down the cost for the strata and that makes it an, another reason why it's more sustainable to live in a new building than it is to live in a single dwelling home. Um, but I've seen there's advances in technology where the glass that can be used on mm. windows can also have embedded solar um, panels within it. Yeah. Right. So if you think about a building just being the roof at the moment and that's where it's collecting all the energy for a dense building below um, is not quite as as uh, effective as if you could use all of the faces of the building or maybe you didn't only use select faces like the western face where you get strong afternoon sun mm. um, uh, to power um, the, the now you've got a whole more surface area that can be used to, to generate power. And are you guys looking or this pace and your company looking at doing, investing or exploring that technology? I think they're constantly looking at um, the latest innovation uh, in the space because um, for any development, you need to be achieving the building sustainable index, BASICS rating, um, all of those items like having PV panels or what you do with the water um, will assist with, with those elements. Something that surprises me with single dwelling homes is that, you know, if you have a house we're flushing the toilet with fresh water, fresh drinking water, right? Um, which is we're in the middle of a drought at the moment. And it seems crazy when you look at the rest of the world that we use some of our best water to, to, you know, flush out um, excrement. That but, was a really nice way of saying pee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, but, but, but so that one of the alternatives there, and I think I know where you're going is, is gray water. Yeah. 
or even and even at, at, at the very least, and that which isn't implemented is to use um, rainwater tanks. Right, so you you catch the rainwater. It hasn't been filtered for drinking purposes, but certainly it can be used to to flush toilets. So um, we're not using the high grade water um, for for drinking to to, to flush toilets. Um, I mean, that's a really uh, simple way of looking. Why uh, the benefits from a from a environmental point of view of buying something new or living in something new versus um, living in an old home that could always be retrofitted and can always be um, expensive. Expensive, yeah. You know, the, the it's it's a lot easier for the developer to set these things up at the beginning before you move in than to um, retrofit retrofit an older place. And people always think about, well, gardens, you know, that maybe that's nicer because you can have uh, lots of grass and maybe, you know, everyone thinks about plants and photosynthesis and oxygen and things like that. But um, I actually learned the other day that when grass dies, it emits more sort of sugars and carbons and, and things like that. So it actually eliminates the um, positive effects. So if like in the moment where you, we're in periods of drought, um, you know, I think uh, looking after and tending to these gardens, while it's lovely and we all wish we could have them, it's not necessarily the best thing for the environment, even though from a uh, mental point of view, we look at these spaces and we go, great, well, that must be um, uh, a more sustainable way to live. But with dense living, you know, you either have people spread out in single dwellings or in uh, in multi uh, dwellings, and I and I and I think uh, it's hard for people to to think about. It's actually more sustainable to live together in these high rise um, vertical living vertical living scenario. Yeah. So uh, I know that you're pressed for time. You're a busy man. You've got thousands of units to sell and big developments to go and run. So I won't I won't keep you too much longer. I want to ask you just one more question before we move on. Um, we spoke about the, uh, the, the private transport that you're going to be putting into the development. Can you talk a little bit about the, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong again, that you're privatizing your own fleet of boats? Uh, is that right? Or yeah. is that, did I hear that incorrectly? Look, Pace have investigated um, what's called the Western Sydney Fast Ferry. Um, there is currently the river cat that runs up that waterway is restricted to four knots because of the wash that it creates um, in Parramatta River. Because it's, it's it's a bigger boat. That's right. Yeah. Well, it's a bigger boat. I mean, it's yeah, it's a catamaran, and it's and it's it's been it's been designed for a, probably not used in that kind of wetlands. I mean, it's better than uh, going up there with a manly ferry, but yeah, yeah. Um, uh, still it creates significant wash. So um, there had been a design boat that could go um, three times as fast, it could go 12 knots and actually create less wash um, um, than the river cat running at four knots. And which, of course, you've got mangroves and wetlands up in that area there, so it creates less damage to the, to the environment as it goes up the river. Um, uh, those plans are, are still there and still available, and that's still something that um, I know the developer uh, wants to happen. Um, the problems, I think there is... Um, different uh, government bodies that have to approve any of these services or upgrades to jetties, to ferry wharfs or creation of ferry wharfs. Um, and um, so that's an ongoing conversation with all those different um, bodies. And I, I know that um, from um, speaking to PACE, that's something that they would, they really want to do. Um, but it, it just, they just want to, they, they want someone to say, yes, come on, let's, let's do it together. And um, it's sometimes it, it, it seems, um, crazy that, you know, 
you kind yeah, of you have, an, you have an offer for, from someone to say, hey, we want to, we've, we found a better way to do things. We want to help fund it and we want to uh, work with you to create this. And, and um, uh, politically it's like, well, uh, it wasn't our idea, so uh, yeah. I don't – that's, we're too busy doing everything else right now. And we don't really want to, we don't want to prove that. Well, if anyone's going to do it, I'm sure that it'll be Pace and your team over there as well at Boston. Um, you know, you, you've managed to build bridges and, and you're building a whole suburb and you guys are really innovating and it's something incredible that you're building out there. If anyone that hasn't seen or heard of Melrose Park, you have to get out to the display suite. It's absolutely gorgeous. It was one of the first times I, I landed there. I just thought it was a wedding venue. It was absolutely gorgeous. So, um, Reese, thank you very much for coming in today. I really appreciate your time. Um, this is one of the longer podcasts that we've done. I could have kept on talking oh, okay. for an hour, okay. but um, look, I want to say thank you for your time. And if there's any parting thoughts, please feel free to drop them and um, we'll hope to catch up again soon. No, thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Nice. Cheers.